Hi there, this is Ann Angela Webb, the Animal Intuitive. I wanted to make sure that you knew about my free intro to telepathic animal communication class. It's called Unlocking the Secrets of Telepathic Animal Communication. And you can get the class by just going to my website, intuitivetouchanimalcare.com, and heading on over to the courses page. Also, if you would like to watch this episode or to check out my extensive video playlists, use the link in the description for the Animal Intuitive channel on YouTube. And finally, leaving me a positive review helps the channel more than you know. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Animal Intuitive channel where we talk about all things having to do with both animals and supporting pet parents. And that's why we have a special guest here on the show tonight. So although a lot of times we're talking about things like animal communication, natural pet care, and experts in the fields of animal care and advocacy, tonight we have a very special guest, John Kelly Profiler. John Kelly has been on the show before, but we're having him back because we're coming at things at a little bit of a different angle today and an important angle. Uh, John Kelly has been involved with over 100 profiling cases. Uh, He's been on shows like Investigation Discovery, Nancy Grace, many, many shows. And he is committed to, you know, trying to solve these terrible cases of, you know, terrible things that happen to people. But we want to talk today about prevention. Is there a way to prevent people from committing horrible acts. What do we do? Can we do something when people are young? Is there a way to change the world a little bit? Um, So there are some things that have come out, some studies, some work that has been going on for the past several years that may be indicating that, yes, there are things that can be done. Surprise, surprise. A lot of people don't believe that, but we're going to talk about it here today. Uh, So John, please introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, John Kelly, profiler here. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, you know, so grateful to Ann. She's a, uh, a very, very uh, gracious host. I've been on before. I truly appreciate her. I appreciate the work she does. Uh, and that's the major reason I'm here is because she does so much great and kind work. I mean, it's just uh, really unbelievable. Uh, also, uh, she gave me permission to plug my book, so I'm going to plug it. It's called Discovering Lazarus, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly of John Kelly, and uh, How I Kicked a Horrible Cocaine Addiction, Became a Counselor, Moved on to Become a Psychotherapist, and a Profiler. And I have been on many shows, as Ann mentioned to you, for the last 20 years, it's been a long run, Anne, and uh, certainly uh, a lot of the work I do is the darker side of what you do. I mean, uh, you're the angel uh, taking care of the animals, and I'm out chasing the devil. So that's pretty much the way it is. I call it uh, evil energy. And uh, I, I, I see it blossoming uh, all the time. So uh, you tell me what you'd like me to uh, talk about. Certainly yeah. I will. Yeah, I was just, you know, before we even came on, you know, I was preparing for the show and just doing some research. Um, I, you know, some people know this, some people don't. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. So even in my initial years of in that work, I worked with uh, people who were... In, in the realm of um, offenders of different types and and kids as well and kids who had done some serious things too and there was kind of a, um, a, I don't I don't I guess a hopelessness or you know there wasn't much hope as far as what to do there's a lot of frustration and I think that you know from what I'm seeing now there are some ways that we can kind of get ahead of things and that's what I, I want to talk about but also I want to be realistic too and hear from you about what you've experienced because you have dealt one one to one you've spoken with I know at least one serial killer and you know other 
murderers and things, you know, different people. So we, we want to hear it from somebody who has, you know, been right in the weeds with this. And you're also part of something called STOC, um, which is, remind me what that stands for. Yeah, STOC uh, stands for System to Apprehend Lethal Killers. And um, pretty much can find us uh, anywhere on the internet, uh, anywhere you want to search. We've been involved in many, many cases. Any cases that, you know, I've been involved in, Stock has been involved in. Uh, we have a great team. Uh, Frank Adamson's the vice president. Uh, he was the uh, commander in chief of detectives. Uh, in the Green River case, uh, I worked with him up there in Washington on the Green River case over 20 years ago. That's how I met Frank. And when he retired, uh, you know, he uh, joined us at Stock. And Frank is really uh, a cop's cop, if you will. Um, there's nobody that knows more about serial murder than Frank Adamson. He's taught at Quantico a number of times. So we're very happy with the team we have. And of course, there are other doctors and therapists that are connected to the team. And uh, we, and great homicide detectives besides Frank. So we can kind of reach out whenever we need to, uh, to whatever field and, uh, you know, grab uh, a really true professional in that field, like asking you, uh, to come on and talk about, you know, uh, various a situation that occurred over in England with the animals and everything, and you know how uh, how you uh, and how the dog would have uh, acted, and uh, we we see you as a uh, professional asset, you know. So oh, thank you. Thank that's, you, yeah. that's an honor to hear. Thank you. That was, that was, yes, that was when I was on John's show too. So check that out after this, not right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we look at the statistics, they are a little daunting. A hundred percent of sexual homicide offenders examined, uh, had a history of cruelty towards animals. Um, 70% of all animal abusers have committed at least one other criminal offense and almost 40% have committed violent crimes against people. 63.3% of men who committed crimes of aggression admitted to cruelty to animals. There's just a, it's just an ongoing connection between, I can go on and on with the statistics about people who harm animals and how that ends up looking in our society. It is seen that there's a connection absolutely between people who harm animals and people who offend in, in their own home. They're violent towards their family members and can be violent in the larger society. So even if you don't care at all about animals, it, you should care about this because there is a link. So, you know, how do we get ahead of this and, and what is the reason for it? And we know that there are some differences in brain structure, um, perhaps genetic DNA that they're looking at right now, from my understanding is that that's a very early on field as far as what can be done about that because it's kind of daunting but as far as you know brain structure we know that there is a difference when we're talking let's just say we're talking about psychopaths when we're talking about serial killers and that's not um a dsm diagnosis but it is a term that i think we can use here the dsm sort of umbrella diagnosis for that the diagnostic statistical manual which is what people like us therapists john is also an lcsw that's what we use if we were going to you know go, go in and try and come up with well, well what's going on here what's the diagnosis that's the book you know many people have heard of that but in the dsm um they would put this on under not under psycho it's not a psychopath diagnosis. It's antisocial personality disorder that people would more look to put the, the label, let's just say. Um, but I don't know, do you like to refer to these people that you're dealing with mostly as psychopaths or do you like to refer to them as having antisocial personality disorder? I'm not sure where you come from with that, with your language. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of the, you know, I guess, 20 years ago became the new term antisocial personality disorder, but 
you know, uh, and, and just to keep everything straight, I am not a licensed uh, clinical social worker. I am a social worker who's done a lot of clinical work before the board even formed. Oh, yeah, right, <laughs> right. So now, yeah. so, you know, I mean, but I didn't, I didn't decide to go for, uh, for licensing in it because I was, uh, I'm also an addiction specialist and I'm licensed uh, in the first Academy for Addiction. So, I mean, my focus, my focus has been really for the last 20 some years on the making of the monster. Okay. What goes into the monster? And one of the ingredients is animal abuse, early animal abuse. Okay. And I love animals. I love animals. Okay. And, and I've had many animals and, uh, you know, primarily cats, uh, but I've had some dogs too. And the, the bottom line is it, it, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around why somebody would treat an animal in such a harsh way. And I really deep dived into it. And the bottom line is, it's usually unresolved anger in one respect uh, that's going on usually with a child in the house uh, for one reason or another, they're carrying around a lot of anger or it is someone in the house that is using alcohol or other substance and they're carrying around a lot of anger Uh, genetically. This is a whole new world that we're looking into, Um, you know, uh, so we're looking at, uh, you know, what creates the psychopath. I'm going to call him a psychopath. Okay. What creates, what creates the psychopath? We know lots of times there is abuse. In fact, just about all the time there is abuse, but Along with that abuse, I have, and and it's really taken me a while to kind of hitch up to this. There is this genetic predisposition of some sort or this misfiring or miswiring of circuits in the brain. And these these people that I've interviewed, um, you know, who are psychopaths, because I've interviewed, you know, thousands of people uh but but for in in uh in in uh, being a criminal profiler and profiling criminals you know the psychopaths are not able to really feel any uh remorse or guilt i mean they are just not able this is you know something i really i i really had to catch up with because it was really hard for me to accept the fact that they could hurt an animal or hurt a human being and not feel anything from it. And it's just, it's just factual. That's the way they are. Uh, one man told me another one agreed after I confronted him with what I got from the first guy that, you know, learn how to hurt and kill small animals. And that will, uh, you know, desensitize you to working your way up, to kill bigger animals like human beings, okay? So, I mean, uh, the people I, the psychopaths I've talked to, I mean, they just, I, I mean, go out of their way to kill an animal just, you know, for fun, for, for some kind of self-gratification. Um, you know, and, 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 and it wouldn't even bother them uh, one bit. They wouldn't even flinch. On the other side of that, they're not the majority of abusers. The majority of abusers, I, I, I'm sure, are people that are extremely angry, usually uh, younger people who really have parent uh, issues with their parents or they're, they're, they're angry over something. Um, you know, they've been uh, involved in some kind of abuse or dysfunctional household. Uh, you know, that they've grown up in and that's had an effect on them and they're just angry and they just misdirect their anger and take it out on uh, poor animals, okay? Or 
you know, you have older adults too that are drunk or on drugs and uh, are just walking around very angry at themselves and what they've become. And they misdirect that anger and they, you know, will take it out on a smaller pet, a smaller animal. And when I talk about younger people and I talk about uh, child abuse, I'm also, I want, I want the audience to understand I'm including neglect because neglect is abuse. Okay. And um, some of these younger people feel neglected and uh, they're very hurt over it. And, you know, hurt kids hurt other people and things. Okay. I mean, that's just the way it goes. So there's a lot more study that needs to be done, but it is probably the most uh, upsetting thing to me, uh, you know, and grabs at my heart uh, very, very uh, close to uh, identifying the uh, female, the human uh, female victims. So it's not only uh, dogs or cats or other animals, but you know, human victims that uh, psychopaths have tortured and killed and hurt, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, losing an animal can affect the family just, uh, you know, very similar to losing a family member. In fact, they are considered family members, you know, like a child. But I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. So go ahead. No, no, absolutely. Because everything you're saying is just, it's its fascinating, the work that you've done and you, you have been up close with it. And, you know, just to kind of like piggyback on what you're talking about, they they have found that they're, okay, so when we talk about the, the DSM and certain diagnoses, and uh, first of all, I do just want to kind of say that I'm not like a big DSM. I, um, it's what we use if in the world of psychology, it's the language that is used to speak to each other. But many of us have issue with the DSM, um, you know, labels that we're giving people left and right. And, you know, a, a lot of times I think things are just, to me, they're just on a spectrum and we're trying to come up with these explanations for things. However, um, just to speak in this language of, psychopaths um people aren't going to so much like to hear this but they they have found that under the conduct disorder diagnosis um there is a certain subset there of children who have limited pro-social emotions they call it and they have a lack of remorse or guilt they can have a lack of remorse of guilt callous lack of empathy unconcerned about performance so, so like in school or, you know, whatever they're doing, um, a shallow or deficient affect. And they might mm. have other personality traits like thrill-seeking, fearlessness, um, insensitivity to punishment. And this may distinguish those individuals as being ones who are more at risk of going on to commit some serious, more serious offenses, especially if there's a early onset of it. So prior to 10 years old, they have found that corresponds to be a predictor of future psychopathology or, you know, what they would call antisocial personality disorder in the DSM. Um, so what do we do about that? And so on the one hand, it's like, oh gosh, we're labeling these kids with this horrible, you know, <laughs> uh, label. But the good thing about it is it's giving an opportunity to say, well, what can we do? And it does seem as though they are finding that young children with these kinds of conduct problems and these elevated callous, unemotional traits, they call them. So they've got conduct issues. They've got this callous, unemotional trait um, they are finding that these children actually have a tendency to respond better to more of a reward-based parenting style or, um, you know, more, more warmth they respond to. So it's kind of like a little bit, you know, it kind of intuitive, you're like, wait, what? But yeah, you know, they actually do, they don't respond as well to sort of punishment-based parenting, um, mm -hmm. or, 
or whatever, treatment, school, etc. So this research is suggesting that there are certain types of uh, treatments that are better for these types of kids. Um, and there's one called parent-child interaction therapy um, for callous unemotional adaptation. That, so there's this adaptation to it. And they're finding that this is um, actually compelling, that this could be very helpful. They're using it in certain programs. Um, I'm forgetting the name of one of them, but they're, but it is, they're actually finding that it's helping. It's sort of, it's like a, a place where, I think it's in Wisconsin, where I can't think of the name of it, where um, particularly boys, I think, are in this program that have not done well in other sort of correctional situations. They've gotten into trouble. They send them there and they're actually doing better. And they're, you know, they're measuring these things statistically. So to me, that does show that there is some hope. And we, we do know that the, the brain structure can be different. There's a difference in the amygdala not being as activated. It's not the connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex that helps a person have things like guilt. It's not there to the same degree in these individuals. So we have to sort of take a step back and say, okay, there really might be something going on that they, that they can't necessarily, um, they didn't cause. And then also if you throw in, like you said, a difficult home life situation, uh, it, it's just kind of like adding fuel to the fire and increasing the risk. So sometimes having this different type of brain can be helpful in mm -hmm. certain types of jobs and um but it depends on how the person has been raised and their awareness of it and not all of them go out to commit serious offenses so i think it's good to have these conversations because it can be you know it can help us to think about well what can we do to shift things going forward and to help prevent uh serious harm coming to both people and animals so I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, John? What's? Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely correct. I mean, a parent-child connection, um, you know, and, uh, you know, the reward, um, you know, program or, oh, I lost you there. My anyway. camera went out. It's okay. You keep talking. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the reward uh, can be really, really great there. Uh, because the child uh, may, like I said, uh, feel neglected in some way by the parent. But then if the parent is working with the child to try and firm the child up with some kind of uh, reward um, dynamic that would help the child uh, be kinder to the animals or kinder, you know, to uh, even siblings. I mean, because a lot of these kids attack their siblings too. So, I mean, I mean, I could see it work in a lot of different ways. The other part of it that I think um, is interesting is the uh, consequence uh, theory. I mean, you can always set up consequences. I'd like to, I'd like to see, you know, uh, between the. Uh, the uh, uh, stick and carrot approach. I'd rather see the approach with the carrot first, a kinder, gentler approach that would, you know, maybe solidify uh, the parenting and uh, help the child to feel better about themselves. If they think they are achieving something and getting rewarding and getting rewarded for it, uh, I can, I've seen that change behavior many, 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 many times, many times. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, as, as sometimes if that's not working, then you have to move towards the consequence, uh, and see if the consequence takes, uh, reference if, you know, and, and sometimes it might take a while to go back and forth in between. So the child starts to have an understanding or even an adolescent has an understanding that look at you know if you act a certain way there's a reward to it you know because you're conforming to you know society and you're being kind 
to animals. If you are not being kind to animals and you're abusing, you're not conforming to society. And, uh, you know, there's going to be consequences eventually. I, I like that idea of starting off with the reward. I mean, pretty much that's what we did at our counseling centers. And uh, it worked extremely well because we were working with a lot of uh, drug abusing and drug addicted people. And we found that, you know, they started uh, responding when they were starting to get more positive feedback for things that they really accomplished, you know, versus uh, just getting uh, penalized and put down for things that they were doing uh, and their and their uh, life in the drug culture. So we found that the uh, you know the kinder approach can be the better approach, but it has to be balanced. They have to understand what's working and what's not working, you know, and again, again and again and again, you know, we come back to the parents. So the, as far as I'm concerned, the major anti-animal abuse uh, weapon of choice is parenting. Parenting, 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 parenting is anti-animal abuse. I mean, there, there's no question about it. Parents have to, uh, you know, really be involved uh, in some way, shape, or form. Just with some of these kids, it just doesn't happen naturally. With some, it does, I hope. And, and it looks like with the majority, it does. You know, uh, they're, they're kinder people. Uh, they've seen their parents be kinder people, so they've become kinder towards animals. And... Uh, you know, uh, they may, uh, you know, just uh, not take it out on animals, you know, and, uh, right. you know, uh, not, uh, you know, uh, generate their anger or misdirect their anger in another direction uh, to some poor, unfortunate uh, animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm putting this picture up for to take my place because my camera's not working. So excuse the, the shameless plug. Yeah. That, is, that is a free class. If anybody does want to take it, it is uh, <laughs> on my <laughs> my website, Intuitive Touch Animal Care. You can find that it's a free 90 minute animal communication class. Um, so but that's the only picture I could pull in. I apologize. I didn't have a regular one. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> great picture. Great um, picture. You can apologize about that picture. It's got my little my my guys on there. My my puppies so mm -hmm. people like that but yeah i mean it seems as though you know the all of the programs that um strive to help children who have um shown these signs of conduct disorder oppositional defiant disorder which is like a kind of a lower level uh diagnosis than conduct disorder it doesn't rise to that level but you know there's still issues with behavior and acting out um they find that it's got to be parent involvement um, I was noticing that some of the programs that, that they were recommending that have been around for a very long time actually have really been, um, holding strong. They're programs that even when I was working in community mental health, they were, were using, um, but they do seem to have some more recent ones that are a little bit more targeted, but, um, it's just, it seems like that if, depending on if the person really has, this level of dysfunction, if you want to call it that, or these, this sort of different type of brain and whatever else is going on that they're trying to understand better, um, with their chemistry that they just respond better to, to the more positive kind of, um, reward system. Obviously, like you said, you can't just let people do whatever, um, and only intervene positively, but there do, you know, there do have to be consequences, but I think it's really great that they're starting to narrow down what to do about certain types of brains, mm -hmm. you know, in general, you, you know, it's, it's a big advancement and can really help to make change. And, and it does seem as though there's, there is a huge, you know, like you mentioned about people, situations in homes, um, statistically 75% of women who have companion animals um, 
report that their pet has been the target of violence or threat of violence by the partner. So they use these animals to frighten the women and also 90% of the time that means kids who are, if there's children in the home, they have witnessed it. And then kids do repeat what they see. They become sometimes desensitized to it. So it, like you're saying, it isn't always just, you know, about uh, brain types and it, it's just sometimes the home life situation. So if exactly. To, yeah. Um, you know, I'm wondering too, have you personally had the people that you've worked with directly, the offenders talk about what they feel or believe, um, if you can believe them, you know, I, I don't know what you would say about that, but about what the best tactic is or attack the best, best action to prevent people from going out and committing crimes against others. You know, I have, uh, I specifically talked to, uh, one serial killer, uh, about what he have, what, what could have been different, uh, in the way, uh, you know, he, he ended up, um, killing animals or torturing animals or, um, you know, how, how, how he ended up on that path. And he knows, I mean, he'd be the first one to tell you that he can't feel any remorse or any guilt. But he said it's really, really important if you want to get the kids, get to them early, and try to get them to have respect for nature. Now, he even, he even brought it down to the point of torturing insects. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has a kid. Like you were just talking about, you know, uh, how they are when they're younger, right? And and how they're acting out as children. Well, he brought up, he brought up uh, how important it is to keep them from killing even insects because they'll they'll you know, get into torturing insects. And then the next thing you know, they're looking for something bigger than an insect, which could be an animal, dog, cat, whatever. And then later on, you know, it could be brother, sister, sibling. And then they move up the line, you know, uh, to taking it out on people. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of women have been... Uh, you know, um, victimized, traumatized uh, by uh, watching someone try to intimidate them through attacking, uh, you know, their pet, uh, an animal that they love. Yeah. Yeah. Did he, uh, by any chance, men mention that he had been exposed to anything like that as a child, that he witnessed it? He talked about uh, them not having a lot of regard. His father was a hunter, so he didn't have much regard for an animal. This guy became an extremely major hunter. Um, went to Vietnam when he was 18. 18, he joined to go to Vietnam. He went, told me he wanted to kill people. He did. Hmm. And... Um, you know, came home with a couple purple hearts, re-upped for, a, actually re-upped for a third year before he came home, saw a lot of combat, was a killer. Mm -hmm. But uh, really, uh, he saw his father act out in very, very uh, punitive ways, mm -hmm. um, you know, not to animals, but I don't, I, I got the feeling his father really didn't care that much about animals. Like I said, he was a major hunter. He taught this guy how to hunt. This guy would shoot anything, anywhere, any animal, anywhere, anytime. He didn't care. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but also, also, um, he was abused, severely abused 
uh, as a child, beaten. And what I find with a lot of these guys, uh, if nobody cares about their feelings, at some point they become immune to other people's feelings. Now, these are the people that don't have the genetic predisposition. Okay. So you've got kind of two, two things going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who have a genetic predisposition uh, and uh, we, there, there's some uh, research on this. In fact, one of the fellows that's leading the research um, is uh, has been tested as a psychopath, but he's not a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, mean, I if that's yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and our killers, and um, you know. Uh, I truly believe if they're uh, raised in a kind, loving family, there's a much better chance they're going to be a, a kinder, maybe even loving uh, person. Uh, you know. So I, again, it's to me, it's parents, 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 yeah. and family. You know, I really, I think that's where it all, all really begins, one way or the other. Even if you get into genetics, I mean, it's still family. It's the sperm and the egg, right? I mean. You know, that whole genetic piece, which I had a hard time with. I really had a hard time because I saw the abuse, the consistent abuse with with every one of these guys. And it was hard to just say, oh, come on, man, this is genetic, too. This guy has no feelings for anything. You know? right. But 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 I had to accept there are people I have talked to, you know, like the one guy said to me the other day, I happened to be talking to one of them, called me up. He's in prison. He's in prison doing two life sentences. He said, I don't know what to do about my son. He's mad. He's drinking too much, blah, 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 blah. And he sent me on a guilt trip. He's trying to send me on a guilt trip. They said, well, you don't have to worry about being sent on a guilt trip because you don't feel any guilt. And he started laughing. And he said, That's right. But I mean, it's just uh, some people are just made this way. Yeah. And they know it. They know it. And, and they know they're different. Mm-hmm. And they, one guy said to me, like, we're alien, aliens amongst you. Mm-hmm. We walk among you. Right. I think I just in, when I was doing some of this research, I think that was something that um, was said by, um, oh, what was his name? The guy out in California that was uh, really kind of, had a satanic spin to him. I forget his name. The dark hair, very dark hair. He was the one who like they had to chase him through the streets, and the people caught him like in the yeah the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name, but he made a statement. Ramirez. Like, Ramirez. Yeah, he was basically like, you just you can't understand me. I mean, of course, some of this is narcissism, but you know, he's saying though, you know, you just can't understand me. I'm just made different. And so there right. comes down to some responsibility there too. Well, okay, well, if you know that, um, so does that mean that you get to still act on it, act on these impulses, um, you know, the, just because they are different? So that, I mean, that's, that's question. And I'm wondering if you, th- if you, what you think about that, the impulses that they have that are there and they don't have the guilt and does it, it's a it's a really difficult moral question that I'm sure angers a lot of people to even have to like think about it. But do they have entire responsibility? Is there something going on there where it's almost like a complete predator with no self-control, except for the fact that they're not doing it in front of the police? So there's got to be some level of self-control. I mean, they're not going out and murdering someone right on the street in front of a police officer, in other words. So there's got to be some. Yeah, the the, uh, the uh, impulse uh, problem is, uh, is a major problem. They get the, uh, the craving, the urge. Uh, and this is, this is all... Uh, based on self-gratification. You know, I wrote, I was the first one to come out with uh, that serial murder was an addiction, okay? I mean, if you can't stop doing heroin, you're a heroin addict. You can't stop doing cocaine, you're a cocaine addict. 
Well, if you can't stop killing people, guess what? You're addicted to uh, killing people. You're an addict of killing people. And when you really dig down, and that's what brought me into this whole field, you know, the addictions field, because why do people use? People use to get high. What does that mean you get high? Well, it makes me feel good. What do you mean feel good? Why don't you feel good already? You know, you get into the whole thing and everything. And, you know, uh, well, you know, I, I, when, I, when I do my drug or whatever, I, I come alive. I feel alive. You know, and I've heard that so many times, you know, I've had counseling centers for, you know, been the executive director of extra care health services for like you know, 26, 27 years. So, you know, looking at this, you know, what, what does that mean? You feel alive. So now I go to serial killers and you're actually addicted to killing and killing makes you feel alive. And I and I and I've confronted a couple of them with this. And oh, it's 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 an addiction, definitely, John. It's an addiction, definitely. It's the highest of all highs. You're godlike. It's a godlike high because you have the last word over whether somebody lives or they don't. But getting back to the impulse and impulse control, they cannot handle from what they tell me, the sexual excitement of being on the hunt and stalking, especially a female, and the sexual excitement that brings because they want to control and dominate, you know, that woman, okay? Sexually dominate that woman. And it's horrible to hear, uh, but this is what floats their boat. And um, they have a very, very hard time of controlling it. Now, if you take an addict away from the cocaine, there's probably a good chance he can recover as long as he's not around cocaine. If you take a heroin addict away from heroin, then as long as he's not around the people, the places, or the things, the heroin, I mean, there's a good chance he's going to recover. You know, as long as he stays away from it, out of sight, out of mind, right? You know, learning how to deal with these feelings in another way. But with the serial killer, and I've seen this over and over, and we just had one or two last year that went away for 15, 20 years in prison. Did their time and got released. Well, they were no sooner released than back out on the street when they're back around their drug of choice, which happens to be a woman, they're, they're addicted to having this sexual dominance over women. Well, how do you control that? You can't, I mean, you know, at some point, if they're back in population, the relapse recidivism rate among, uh, you know, sexual, sexual violent offenders is off the charts. And uh, with with serial killers, I mean, I just do not believe they should be ever be allowed out on the streets again, because they are around. The very fact they're in society, they are around, you know, people who are their drug of choice, if you will, and where this this sets off uh, that urge, and uh, they have very very little impulse control at all. And along with the very little impulse control, I think some imaged earlier, the stimulation of the risk taking, you know, the stimulation of the forbidden and the risk taking all comes together. And it started off with animal cruelty and animal torture. Right. That's where it started. Yep. So that's where that really needs to be taken seriously. Um, there are more and more laws that are taking it seriously and showing that it's being taken seriously. I mean, it is considered, um, in, in all 50 states, the United States, the federal government now considers some form of animal cruelty, a felony, um, some forms of it, um, which is good. Uh, but I don't think there's enough. In fact, I'm going to be having someone on my show 
probably this won't, I don't, I'm not sure this show will be out before that person comes on, but uh, just to talk about maximum punishment for some of these offenses towards animals, because it's just not sometimes handled the right way. I don't think in our criminal justice system, it's not taken seriously enough. So there is an interesting, yeah. I mean, for not for people who would be labeled serial killers, but (laughs) I did have somebody on the show, an attorney who uh, talked about a program called BARC, B-A-R-C, that she was involved in and developed for, it's an education um, program for people who have committed certain acts, more neglect, more not taking care of animals, um, that kind of thing. It's an, it's a program they can do if they've been put there in the criminal justice system already, they can take this program or, or they can be ordered to take this program to get some education around it. And it does seem to have effect, uh, statistically speaking. So that's good, but it's not necessarily for really hardcore animal abusers because that's not really the core issue it's it's education exactly but but i'll tell you anything at all helps and just moving in the right direction even at a slower pace it's still the right direction Mm -hmm. and you know the one thing that really uh i've i've watched too is this connection of arson that seems to go along with animal abuse too, okay? Um, you know, uh, a lot of these guys may not become serial killers, but they may become arsonists and rapists. I mean, and they've had a history of uh, animal abuse, you know? So any, 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 right, exactly. They grew up powerless, so now they want power over. Because they didn't have any when they were children, in in a lot of respects. Not all of them, mm-hmm. like some of them have that genetic flaw. But being powerless as a child can lead to you wanting a lot of power as an adult, power over others, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, uh, I guess, more to be revealed, you know. Yeah. But, a, but at least I'm seeing and you're seeing, and I, I you're seeing it more than me, and I love hearing it from you. You know, steps in the right direction. Yeah, and it's kind of I didn't I really didn't plan this out, but the picture I have up there about the the animal communication class. I mean, to me, that's part of it is really teaching people in society that animals have feelings, they're oh, sentient no. beings. Uh, you know, getting that in there from an early early age. Uh, there is also a program called Heart. If people are, if there's any educators out there, it's H E A R T Heart. I had them on the show as well. You can always go to my playlist. These are interviews I've, you know, in the in the interview section, everything I've mentioned so far. Um, but they have programs for educators around this kind of thing, teaching children about having empathy for animals and um, just better relationships with animals. So anything we can do to teach that from a young age and, you know, hey, take this class with, you know, take it with your kids, show their, <laughs> um, that I have that's free. But, you know, so I think that's a very important part of it is to, to open up that understanding, that dialogue about, you know, animals do have feelings, they have thoughts, um, and we need to respect them. And I actually do have a, not out yet, but I have a children's book that's coming out in the new year. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to see that. I am. Thank really, you. I'm so excited yeah, to see it too. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll have you on my show too when you, when you get that, because that's very thank important. Thank Yeah, that, that book came, part of the reason for that book was for this purpose, is to, to really highlight that and to to really go into a story um, that that helps kids understand that connection that animals that they can have with animals and that animals really have thoughts and have feelings and so it's been fun writing that it's one of my favorite things but that's coming so <laughs> is there anything else that you think we haven't touched on that anything else did I miss? No, not for today. I mean, maybe we'll think of something in you know, over the days and the weeks or the holidays. Who knows? Yep. But 
I think we've uh, covered it all today. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't thank you enough for having me on. Uh, happy holidays to you and your audience. And, uh, you know, many blessings. I yes. really appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Those who are watching this, um, you know, let us know your thoughts. And again, as, as John said, many blessings, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for coming on, John. I really oh, yeah. appreciate anytime, it. Anytime, anytime. We got to help the little guys, you know, we got to help the little animals. They're the little guys. We got to yes. take care of them. Absolutely. Thank you. And God bless. God bless. Rub my belly.